All right, if you will, if you haven't already, or put a, um, go to James chapter one, James chapter one, and if you're visiting with us, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. And so we are in verses two to 12. That is the section of scripture that we started studying a bit a, a couple weeks ago. This is a study that, as you see, um, up on the, the board there, that it, theme of this study is how to succeed in trials. And if you have your sermon notes, that's at the top of it as well. But uh, this is our fourth study in James 1, 2 to 12. Our focus is going to be just on verses 6 to 8. Last week, we got through verse 5. Let me just read, picking up in verse 5 through 8, though. Verse 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. And then in verse 8, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So this was the third instruction, and I said that these are instruction sets. I don't want to confuse you, but they're not just simple commands. There's a lot of information as we work through this section of Scripture. We said there are four sets of instructions, and the very first one was recognize God is at work. And you could put a little note, recognize joyfully that God is at work. Because look at verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you counter various trials. And so that was the first set, and there was theology there. You had one command to consider it joy, but then we had the situation that it's joy when you face trials, and then the purpose of the trials is that knowing that the testing is there to produce endurance. And that took us then to the second set of instructions that we were to commit to faithfulness. Verse four, that let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Uh, For those of you who like English, there's the concept that this is a command to let. Let what? It was in the third person. Um, And the idea is that endurance controls you. Bearing up under pressure for an extended period of time is to control you. And then we came to verses 5 to 8, and we only got through verse 5 last week. But that started off very positively. And verse 5 says, if you lack wisdom, where's the command? That you are to ask of God. And what you see here is just a very straightforward command. Pray. You are to pray. And what we want to do is to recognize how positive that is. But as we come to verses 6 to 8, it's very negative in the sense that you are being told that if you do not follow the instruction in verse 5, there are two more instructions, two more commands that you need to be aware of. That are very, very, I consider them scary because what they reveal about you. It could be easy to miss, but if you look in verse 6, you can underline it. He must ask in faith without any doubting. You can't just say that you're to ask in faith. It's the entire, it's the entire line. 
Ask in faith without any doubting. That is a command. That is an instruction. So underline it. Then you ought to see in verse 7, there's a second command. For that man ought not to expect. Ought not to expect. We'll get into the details here in a second. But that is also a command. It's not suggestions. These are commands. And I got to point out to you, James, who's the brother of Jesus, is writing the very first letter to the New Testament church. He has 108 verses. And in those 108 verses, if we add up chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, you find 54 commands. That's a lot. This is a book that is basically telling you, I'm telling you what to do, and you better do it. This is an instruction book. And for those of you who don't like being told what to do, James isn't for you. (laughs) Christianity isn't for you. This is a book where it's telling you this is what you need to do. And I think like verses 6 and 7 there are easy to miss. Those are instructions. But like I said last week, if you were here, the idea in verse 5 when he says, if you lack wisdom, if you're lacking the knowledge and then the skill on how to apply it, you can come to God and he will give it to you generously. And I hope that it has greatly impacted all of your prayer life. I know it has mine. It's been amazing. I've pushed myself. And this is what I want to do. I want to push you. I want you to start thinking about, wow, you should do cartwheels with verse 5. The fact that I used this illustration I thought was very appropriate. I mean, if you were in financial um, bewilderment and you wanted to know how to solve a situation or even to plan for the future, and you could go to Warren Buffett, one of the wisest men in regards to the finances in our country, you would love to be able to go to him. But you'd always maybe wonder, is he going to hold a little back? (laughs) But what if he gave you everything? What if you needed some information on computers and all of a sudden you could go to Bill Gates and he answered all of your questions and didn't hold anything back? Well, the reality of it is, is we have someone greater than Warren Buffett Someone greater than Bill Gates, someone greater than any of the greatest cooks or, you know, any great person of great wisdom on this earth. We have it because you look at verse 5. God, the sovereign being, will give to you generously and without reproach. And yet, when we come to verses 6 to 8, God is telling us, but if you don't listen... If you don't listen, there's problems here. There's significant problems. It's not that God is an ogre, but I'm just trying to let you know this is the way God works. And God is basically saying, my universe has to be run in a certain way. And my universe has my wisdom operative to make life work. So as we go through this section of scripture, chapter 1, 2 to 12, we're talking about trials, we're talking about difficulties, and our theme is established right from the beginning. Look at verse 2, when he says, consider all joy when you counter various trials. And we have said that these trials are hard, and they're designed to educate us with a purpose. They're not just things that we fall in, and they, they're, they're just accidents that there's no control over. Because we are to be tested in our faith, Verse 3, 
the testing of your faith. Who's doing the testing? God is doing the testing. And he wants to produce endurance. It is with a design that you're going through these trials. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your life is not happenstance. It is with design, everything you, you go through. And so endurance is hard. Endurance means that you stay with God no matter what. And I'm going to challenge you even more today because how you handle trials matters. It matters a lot. And it's not going to get you saved, but it does show whether you are saved or not. So as we come to these verses, I want you to recognize our theme is how to succeed in trials. Succeeding is not avoiding the trials, but is how you are growing in your faith. We want to eliminate trials, right? I all want, I want to eliminate trials in my life, but God has a greater purpose, and he wants you to mature. Look at verse 4. Again, let endurance have its perfect result. Let, it, let endurance mature you. That's what he's saying. So, six to eight is a warning. Basically, if you ignore this, you're in trouble. Now, this week, I don't have a joke for you this week, but I have a very funny reminder, okay? When I was a kid growing up on television, there was a very funny show, and it was called the I Love Lucy show. Now, many of you may have watched it, maybe you haven't, but it was very popular in the 1950s, a little bit through the 60s. In the 1950s, um, it was the show, and I, I'm aware of the fact that the majority of our country all tuned in, I believe it was Monday night, to watch the I Love Lucy show. And it was a water cooler show, that expression that everyone talks about it the next day. It was the water cooler show for, day, for years throughout the 50s, throughout the early 60s. Everyone talked about it. If you didn't watch the I Love Lucy show, then you were pretty much out of the loop regarding what was going on in contemporary America. I'm not saying that you had to. I recognize, but I'm just talking where the general gist is. It was a comedy of comedies, okay? And the gist of it was there was this crazy lady named Lucy Ricardo, and it dealt with her wild antics as she was married to a Cuban band leader, Ricky Ricardo. And obviously, Lucy and Ricky were really married in life, which brought a little different dynamic to it as well. But on the, on the um, TV show, Lucy did all kinds of crazy things. And, and there's a picture on a meme. On, you know, we've got these memes in the internet now on Twitter and everything. And it's a picture of Lucy with her friend Ethel. And on it, they're in the middle of some hijinks, and it says this. As if, as if Lucy is speaking. Not to brag or anything, Lucy says, but I can forget what I'm doing while I'm doing it. Think about that. And doesn't that absolutely, for those of you who know, typify Lucy? Not our Lucy, but Lucy Ball. The idea was that Lucy did all these crazy antics. And, and here's the thing. When Lucy got into a trial... What did she do? She always made it worse. That's what made her show so funny. That Lucy would get into a difficulty, and instead of going out just to solve it, she always made it worse. There was the situation where she was on the commercial, and I gotta say it right, the Vita Mita Gentleman commercial. 
okay? She was making a commercial, and she made it worse. And then she made chocolates with ethyl in a factory, and they made it worse before, I think they almost like destroyed the factory. There was a time when she went 24 hours without lying and made everything around her worse. There was a time when she was trying to make wine and smashing grapes. It's, one, it's, it's, it's considered one of the most historical, funny episodes ever on TV, let alone all the other times when she tried to work to sneak into Ricky's act and all the hijinks and all the problems that occurred. I want you to remember that quote. Lucy stopped thinking, but she kept on doing. And I, it's basically like she wasn't thinking. Well, that's how God doesn't want us to go through trials. Isn't that the excuse many people have in trials today? They start to go through something, they respond, and they respond inappropriately, and what do they say? I wasn't thinking. Lucy never thought. That was the charm of the show. But the idea really is, God doesn't want us to be like that. And listen, we laugh about that, and we laugh about the fact that trials happen and they have some comedic events, and we can do it after the fact, but I'm telling you there are some trials you go through and there's no way you'll ever laugh about them. What I see someone like Lucille Ball doing, she was throwing gas on the fire. And trials are like fire, they're difficulty. And I thought, what a great sermon illustration because when you throw gas on a fire, what does it do? It makes everything worse. I recently, in, well, this past week, I was looking for a sermon illustration, and lo and behold, there is on the YouTube, there's a, um, a, a video, a news report, where there was this fire crew that was working at a local airport, and they were doing a fire drill. And what they did was, how are we going to deal with a fire if it ever happened on our airstrip? And so they set it up, and it was controlled, but lo and behold, unbeknownst to them, when they brought their water trucks out, for whatever reason, their water trucks were also used for jet fuel. And you can watch this video as these, you know, these firemen come up to the fire that they think is controlled, and all of a sudden they throw jet fuel on it. And before you know it, this fire gets out of control. Two of the firemen get hurt. The news reports is like, ah, oh, how did this happen? Somebody wasn't thinking. Somebody didn't have the right valve turned. When I was a kid, um, what kid? When I was in college, there was a young girl that I knew that I told you, I've, I think I've shared this before, that she got burned with half of her body, just completely disfigured because she was in a garage and somehow there was a fire and somebody inadvertently, whether it was her or someone else, I can't remember now the exact details, but they literally put fire, gas on the fire. I just remember you would look at this young girl, and she was absolutely stunning in beauty from one half, one half of her body. You got to the other side, absolutely hideous because she got, she got so singed with fire. And the illustration is so appropriate because so many of you have been through fires and all of a sudden someone's thrown gas on it and it's gotten worse and you're scarred for life. And if I could look at your heart, we could all look at your heart right now, it is hideous because of what you've been through. I tell you, when we go through trials, we're not going to be able to eliminate them, but I'm telling you, we don't have to make them worse. 
And this is the warning. What God is going to be telling us here is that when we go through this, we will be people that can make our trials worse. And that's why I'm trying to push you to make sure that you follow and obey what God wants you to do. So we said basically that we're going to recognize God is at work. We're going to commit to faithfulness. We're going to pray for wisdom. And then we're going to get to the fourth point next. But when you look at this, what I want you to recognize in verses 2 and 3 is that you have to recognize this first instruction sets the tone. It sets the tone for everything that you do when you face a trial. And this is what I wanted to ask you. Have you been finding yourself, as we've been studying this over the past few weeks, responding better and better, saying, God, is at work? I'm, I'm more joyous. I hope you have. When we go through trials, our natural reaction is, why me, Lord? What can I do to get out of this? How am I going to live with this? But have you found yourself answering the other questions? These are the two questions that you should be having. God, what do you want me to learn in this? God, how can I be more like Jesus? That's how you consider it, that God is at work. Recognize God is at work. And then second, when we talked about the faithfulness, we talk about the fact that God wants us to endure, to go through it like a marathon runner, like a cross-country runner. Karen gave me a movie to watch, and I watched it. I highly recommend it. It's a great Christian movie called Overcomer. And if you get a chance to watch it, watch it. But what makes this Christian movie so wonderful is that they take the concept of running with a little 15-year-old girl, and she's got these trials that are going on, and it's hard, and she's got to push through, and the picture of her running fits perfectly with the movie. That's why they could deal with, uh, well, they bring the theme right to the, to the spiritual truths that they're trying to, to espouse throughout the thing. Listen, your life is like a long-distance run. You must make the commitment. It isn't good. Make the commitment to make it to the end. It isn't good to be faithful in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. You want to be 50, 60, 70. You want to make it to the day you die. That's the point there of committing to faithfulness. We said verse 5 is when you lack wisdom, God knows you do. That was a first-class conditional statement. God knows you lack wisdom. And so why could it be wrong if you don't apply What happens if you don't do what God wants? Can you really make a situation worse? Absolutely. Let me give you three illustrations. I think these are really good, okay? Because let's say you're having an argument with someone, and all of a sudden, someone's in your face yelling. They're screaming. And you don't know how to deal with this person. You constantly have these arguments with them, and they're constantly coming at you. What do you do? Well, you start praying. God, what can I do? And all of a sudden, you start to think a general answer turns away wrath. But then you say, no, I'm not going to apply it. And what do you do? You yell back. Maybe you throw a punch. You get into a more heated argument. What happened? You had one argument, but now it's escalated, and the fire has gotten more intense. Next thing you know, a murder occurs. Read in the newspaper how many murders occur because all of a sudden an argument escalated or a divorce occurred because people finally said, you pushed me far enough and I'm leaving, I'm walking out. 
Or how many of you guys have lost friends because of an argument? When if somebody would have just said, I'll follow what God wants, I'll bring back that gentle answer. And it's hard because everything inside you, when someone cuts on you, makes you want to come back with something that's hard to push back. So that's one illustration. How about this one? Say you're having trouble in your marriage. And whatever's going on between you and your spouse, all of a sudden you start thinking, maybe I can go to inappropriate places or I can go to inappropriate websites. I can deal with these things. This will help me. And next thing you know, instead of applying God's wisdom, make no provision for the flesh, you've taken yourself into a situation now where you've thrown gas on the fire. And before you know it, now you've got even more problems in your marriage than you had before because you've got an inappropriate um, relationship or you have an inappropriate mind because of the things that you've been seeing. How about this one? You have some financial struggles, perhaps through this entire quarantine, and all of a sudden you are starting to think, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to pay the bills? And instead of accepting better is the poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. You ignore that, and what do you do? You steal, you rob, you do something. I knew somebody once that worked for a church, and they ended up stealing from the church because they felt that everyone else was doing better than them, and they were in a church that was filled with a lot of good, strong financial people. There, They weren't making a lot, so they stole a lot. And next thing you know, they've lost their job, they've lost their reputation, because you get caught. God works it so that you get caught. Listen, you can make matters worse. And God knows that. Look at verse 6. Okay? Verse 6 says this, but he must ask in faith without doubting. You can't doubt. John MacArthur says this, prayer must be offered with a confident trust in a sovereign God No doubting. This refers to someone thinking in a divided way. We are not to be divided. We're not to be people that have a cut-through judgment. This is a Greek word that you can't break apart. It's dia krenomai, basically dia through, kreno to judge, to have a divided judgment. And what we are to do is to be people that are not divided in the way we think, to waver back and forth. You know, and I want you to point, point this out is, I know that in the growth process, just like a runner, sometimes, you know, if I was going to start running, and I, was gonna, and I know some of you have run long distances, you know, you, you just don't go 20 miles. You might go a mile, and it might be too hard, but then you push it, you push it, and you might want to quit after, after a couple weeks, a couple months, and your legs are hurting, but somewhere along that, you got to push it. The idea that you're struggling with quitting doesn't mean that, that you're not going to make it, Okay? The person, though, that is without doubting, that is with, that has doubts, is a person that continues on and stays in that doubting state. And this is what's not good. So God says, I don't want you to be someone that doubts. I want you to act quickly. I want you to act appropriately. I want you to move on it. This word doubting here is used two times in the New Testament in a very, very poignant ways. I'm not going to have you turn there for sake of time. Just jot these down. In Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 10, verse 20, it's early on in the church life. Peter has been given an instruction. I can't remember right now. If it's a, I think it's an angel comes to him. Or it could be God. I can't remember. Apologize. Acts chapter 10. You guys, it'll ch- you'll have to test, look at it. Acts chapter 10, verse 20. And this is when 
the church really has been primarily only Jewish people. And what happens is, is God wants Peter to go and eat with the Gentiles when the Jews didn't like to do that and to eat the unclean food, which the, with the, which the Jews didn't want to do. But the angel, the, the, the one who comes to Peter says, I want you to go to this Gentile's house and I want you to do it without wavering. And then you'll see in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 21, that's exactly what Peter does. Listen, if you're going through a trial and you pray for wisdom and you say, God, what do I need to do? How am I going to respond to my husband? How can I deal with my children? And it becomes clear the way you need to respond to the person on the street, to the person at work, and you ignore it, that's not what God wants. He wants you to act on it. Don't put it off. The other passage then is Romans chapter 4, verse 20. And Romans, I love the book of Romans. Romans 4 is all about faith alone. And one of the things that God uses is the person of Abraham. And Abraham was told that he would have this, this great number of, of descendants, like the stars uh, you know, up in the sky. And yet when he was given that, he and his wife were beyond childbearing, especially his wife. But it tells us from God's perspective, even though Abraham struggled you know, a little bit with this, we know that he went with his maid, but God knew that ultimately his, his focus was, I believe what you want to, is what to have happen. And so Romans chapter 4, verse 20 says, he did not waver. And to be blunt, that meant he had relations with his wife where maybe he wouldn't have. God wants us to be people who ask in faith without doubting. Why in the world would anybody doubt you know, you say, I'm a strong believer. Why would you doubt? Why do you doubt? Well, number one is we're not sure it's going to work. How will a gentle answer turn back wrath? How will it really mean that I go through life not with as much income as I, I, I had before? You know, will it really work? But you've got to trust that it will work, even, even if the entire world is telling you it won't. Why do we doubt? Because it takes too long. Look, I've been kind to this person. I've been, I've, been, I've been working at this situation for a long time, and it's just taking too long. And what happens is, then all of a sudden you start to say, well, maybe there's something else I should do. Because we all want our answers yesterday, don't we? And we live in that kind of society. I've been thinking about it, how when I was a kid, if I had a question, I would have to think about, boy, I need to go to the library. Um, it's funny, because I thought about this week. I'm trying to learn how to, I'm trying to do jump rope, okay? And how, different ways, because it's easier for me than I can't run anymore. And, I, and when I was a kid, if I wanted to learn something, like I wanted to learn how to play chess, I'd go to the library, I'd get four or five books, boom, I'd go and I'd read them, right? Isn't that what we all do? Okay, but this week, what I said was, I, mean, I want to learn how to jump rope, I want to fix that, I want to, and I immediately went to the internet, I've watched four or five videos on it, and I had it instantaneously. And so, just a little side note there, okay? But the idea is we're in a culture that we don't want to wait. And sometimes when you go and apply God's wisdom, you're going to have to wait. Why do we doubt? Because we have so many competing voices, like I said, the internet, books, we have people on TV who are constantly trying to give us answers contrary to God's ways. You've got to make certain that when you say, I'm dealing with a problem, 
I'm not going to go to the internet. You know, it's like going to WebMD and finding 50 million cures for whatever you can do, uh, whatever you're dealing with. Listen, we have got to understand, if we are truly people of faith, and we believe that when we go to God and we say, okay, Verse 5 says, ask God, and he'll give to you generously, and it becomes clear to you, and supernaturally, you've been led to a passage, and supernaturally, you have been clear on what to do. Then you have to be people that when some foolish person says, no, that's not how you deal with your spouse, that's not how you deal with your children, that's not how you deal with your business, then that's not how you deal with your friendship, then you ignore them. Because you got to trust God. Don't waver. Why else do we doubt? Because it gets too hard. For me to return some kind word is hard. You kick me in the face, you somehow make it where I'm embarrassed by the things that you've done, you better believe I want to come back with something harsh. It is hard. And what you have to do as so much strength and so much internal effort you have to say i will put forth the effort and and this is like a runner for any of you who run you know there's so many times you want to quit so many times you want to stop working out but you got to push through it listen this is why god wants us to endure but you want to throw out no i'm doubting i'm doubting and god is saying it's not justified it's it's not acceptable and then finally, why do you doubt? Because ultimately, sometimes the reality of it is you just don't want to do what God wants you to do. And, and what you'd rather do is just go around looking for someone that's going to give you the answer that you want. I know a person one time, they came to me, they asked me for advice. It was very clear. I gave them biblical advice. I told them what to do. And when the, they left me, the moment they left me, they went to somebody else's house and went out and got different advice so they could do something ungodly and it created many problems. And I recognize that sometimes even when they, people come to me, they're just playing a the game. They're just looking for what they want to do. Listen, when you say, I'm in a trial and I'm in this difficulty and I need answers, God, you better be willing to say, God, what you say, I will do. Now, again, this is scary in the sense because this is spiritual how do you know that you're getting the right answer? Well, you can you go to scripture, you 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 believe the spirit of God is leading you. You can come to me, you can come to an elder, you can come to another godly person, you know, say, does this sound right, the a way to attack this problem? And if you get that confirmation, then go for it. But please have the heart that you're willing to do what God wants you to do. Because I tell you, if you don't, look, it gets worse. Look. He must ask in faith without any doubting. For one who, who doubts is like the surf of the sea, tossed and driven by the wind. You're, you're tossed back and forth. And, and, and I tell you, I, I wanted to read this, but I got to tell you, this concept here of going back and forth, it's an Old Testament nature concept from Isaiah 57, verse 20. Ah, you got to turn there. Every, every, one, every commentary, every message I listened to this week and studying this, they all went back here. And I want to show you this because this is a famous passage that what comes after verse 20. Isaiah is talking about the ungodly and the judgment God's going to bring on the world. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up the refuse and mud. The waters go back and forth. The waters go back and forth, and it tosses up, and it makes it worse. 
If you add waters and they may be a little bit murky, they're really murky because the waters go back and forth. And that's what the ungodly are like. This is why I want you to understand so much of this passage is a warning that's saying, like, if you're not listening to God, look at your heart, look at where you're at, because the ungodly don't care what God wants. And they're like this, they go back and forth. And look at verse 21. He says, this is the famous verse that most of you really know. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And because and, 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 they're going back and forth, going, going back and forth. Now go back to, go back to um, the book of James. And I got to tell you this. And when I say to my, when I say like you're going back and forth and you're, you're going, you know, being tossed back and forth, that's, that's a state of agitation and there is no peace for you. If you're a believer, you want to move away from this. You want to learn. Even if it's hard, even if you're running for a long distance, you know where you're going. But here, this is the scary thing. Because what happens is, is sometimes you think, I don't have to do it God's way. I can do it my way. I'm strong enough. And I want to give you an illustration this morning that I hope scares you to death. Because here's this illustration. Have you heard about this last week? Whoops. Okay. This man, it was a professional wrestler. He's in his 40s. This isn't felt as a me. I just want to... This, Okay, just want to make sure everyone's clear on this. His name is Shad Gaspard. He he wrestled in the um, he wrestled in the WWE. It's not a sport that I always follow, but I, they are athletes. Okay, and you can see this is a very strong-looking man and very very athletic in his forties. And that down there is his son. That's his wife. And last week he was swimming where I used to swim, Venice Beach. And down there, you can tell, I used to go to Muscle Beach. If you haven't heard this story, he was swimming with about eight other people with his son, so there were 10 of them. And guess what happened? All of a sudden, a wave came up, knocked him and the other people up. And where did they go? They went into a riptide. And the riptide, if you've ever been in the ocean, because I've known some really good swimmers, they, they pull you out and they pull you away and then they keep you down. Well, the lifeguards saw it, and they started to rescue the people. They got to him, and this is, I just get numb thinking about this because it would be so horrific. His son is about 8, 9, 10 years old, and what happened was, as the lifeguard got out there, he said, save my son. And then he thought he could handle it. The lifeguard said, the next thing we saw, a wave came, tossed him, pushed him under, They never found his body until three days later. Look how strong he is. He is strong, people. And spiritually, sometimes you think, oh, I'm strong. I can handle it. You decide that you're going to handle God's, you're going to have the problems your way, you're going to be tossed. It's not my declaration. Verse 6, you will be turned and tossed by the sea. You'll be eaten up. You'll lose. Okay. So we have four sets of instructions. We're on the third one. It gets worse, though. Verse 7. For that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord. The idea here is another command. It's the way you think. None of you are to think that God is going to give you anything. And then you should underline or circle that word anything. Because that would include even salvation. And and, and I'm not going to go through the long study. I had it. But the idea is, well, John MacArthur says anything. You know, The unbeliever receives many things from God, food, raiment, but these are general gifts of his providence. When you start dealing with the idea of specific things, 
God is not going to give anything. It's a pretty open-ended term. It's terrifying. What he is saying is, don't think, don't think that God is going to be there for you. Now, that's a, where I said again, a very alarming warning. You can start, you can deal with people all the time. They, this is what I think God is like. And I've interacted with people like that. This is how they, I think God is. And you say, wait a second. You can think that way all you want, but that's not how God operates. I got this story for you, okay? Because I think it really relates. It's a relational story, so you can relate. Becky knows of this. When I was in college, before I was saved, I had a girlfriend, and I was going to marry her. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was going to marry this girl. And we had been dating for two plus years. There was, everybody knew we were like the ideal couple and we were destined to be married. And then one day she comes to me and says, Mike, you know, I don't wanna just date one person through college because this was back in college. I'd like, what I'd like to do is, I would like to do is date around and then after three or four or five years, come back and let's get married. And, and, and obviously, I, I can tell you, this was no small thing. I was in tears. I was broken up. I, just, I was absolutely destroyed for two years after this because we, we were des- I thought we were going to be married. But I told her when she t- came to me with this is, no. <laughs> no, you better rethink. that. You can't think that way because if you want to set the terms of the relationship like that, I don't accept those terms. And, and I told her, she goes, well, what I'll do is I'll, after a couple years, I'll call you up and we'll walk, talk about getting back together. And so she walked out on me and I told her, you walk out that door, we are done. That's how I set the terms. You cannot call me up in four or five years. That's the terms. Four or five years later, guess what? She calls me. Absolutely, she did. And she said, oh, I saw your dad. I'm thinking of you. I said, sorry. I told you the terms. We're done. There's no way that somebody I was going to marry is going to walk out and do that for me. And the idea here is, on a greater scale, I'm not saying I'm God, is I can set the terms for my relationships God is saying, I'm setting the terms for you. For anyone that wants to have a relationship with God and they want to do it on their terms, because this is what I get all the time as a pastor. Even this week, some of you guys might even see, I saw, I deal with this all the time. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't live by the Bible. I'm a Christian, but I don't do it this way. Listen, you don't set the terms. God sets the terms. Verse seven, that man ought not to expect anything. And look what it says, from the Lord. The idea of receive is that you get it from the Lord. Finally, in verse eight, he says, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's two descriptions there. First of all, he's double-minded. And, and the idea of double-minded is very clearly an unbeliever. This comes from Psalm 12, verse two. This comes from passages where, like Psalm 119, verse 113, I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your law. The idea is, it's almost like you're a two-souled person. Almost all the definitions I saw was that they were a two-souled person. They think two different ways. So please, jot those down for sake of time. I'm not having you go back there. Psalm 12, verse 2, verse, verse Psalm 119, 113, 
double-minded people are unbelievers. And unstable people is that, that the idea here is they reel. They, they, they can't stand up straight. They are like a drunk. That second part is, so they're, they're like two-souled people, like they're going two different ways, which a believer is, should be focused to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, not halfway split, okay? And then the idea is unstable in all his ways. They're like a drunk. And let me ask you something. If you as an adult had a brand new car, would you hand the keys to a drunk? Absolutely not. If you had a child and a person was drunk, would you say, please take my child, put him in the back seat, go wherever you want? Absolutely not. You'd be terrified. Would you give a drunk your secrets? No, because if any of you ever dealt with, and sadly, before I got saved, I was around drunks. There were people, they just spout off anything. If you dealt with a drunk and you had a valuable piece of crystal, would you hand it to that drunk and say, go ahead, do whatever you want with it, walk around with it? Absolutely not, because you know at any moment they're not gonna handle things properly. God is saying, I don't wanna be in a relationship with this type of individual. My children aren't like this. They are single-focused, they are stable, and that is what you need to do. So this is why I say, when you come to God for wisdom here, verse five was very clear, it's very positive, but verses six to eight is like saying, listen, I want you to pray and I want you to pray with no doubting. And if you doubt, you are throwing gas on the fire. Isn't it clear? I mean, you know, you don't wanna do that. You can make things worse. God is willing to give you advice, but you have to be willing to implement it. And the person that is faithful will implement it. If you ignore it, you make matters worse. And I know, like, you know, somebody can be going through marital problems, and then you got somebody saying, go, get divorced, get divorced. God hates divorce. God doesn't want you to do that. Don't listen. You, got, you have competing voices out there. You want to work through things. And Life could be hard, but when you go through life and you do God's business, God's way, you're gonna hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's gonna be a marathon. You're going to find times where you're saying, why am I still running? Because you know that you're going towards Jesus and you're a winner. That's the neat thing about this run. Every one of us that goes this way wins. Listen, I gotta make this clear too. You throw gas on the fire, you make matters worse. You're not Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball was in a sitcom and not in real life. What, some of the things that Lucille Ball did would have really got her killed, would have really caused her husband to walk out on her. And that is what happens when you make things worse. We don't want to be like that. Today, I'm challenging you, don't be a double-minded person. And if you're struggling with it, I need you to repent today and say, God, I need to start doing things your way and I'm gonna be more faithful. And maybe you've never come to faith. Maybe that's what you've got to do. But I pray that today is a challenging day to you and you're gonna say, I am gonna plant that flag. I'm gonna plant that post. I'm making that commitment. I'm gonna do life God's way. And whatever God leads you to do and you know it's the right thing to do, that today, If you're struggling with something, commit to it. Say, I will continue down that path. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you 
are so clear in your word. You give us directions. This isn't a life that we just happenstancely go through it. It gets dark. It gets crazy. It's upside down at times. But Lord, you want us to be people that knows there's a path for us. There's a light that is leading us through the darkness. I don't know what trial everyone's going through in this room, but I know there's wisdom for every situation. I ask God that they ask and that they know it and they stay to it, no matter what pressure, no matter what difficulty they're facing. It's hard to be a marathon runner. I'm thankful, God, that we have examples in our congregation of people who have done it and they've related to us all how hard it is. But life is just like it. And we have so many people that have been so faithful in our church, faithful to the end, and still on that journey. Strengthen them, God, today, and help them to go look back and say, you know what? I, there have been times I've struggled. There's times I've been wavering, times I've wanted to sit down, but I've gotten back up and I'm still running. And then let them know, God, that is the path of the one that's on the path to maturity. But for those that are looking at their life and saying, you know, I just don't see myself implementing God's word. I don't see myself putting God's wisdom into practice. I try it for a day or two, but then I quit. Oh God, please let the warning light go on in their life. And maybe they're realizing for the first time that they just don't know Jesus. Please God, have them turn to Christ and get the energizing power to help them to be obedient. In Christ's name, amen.